And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm down to dunk. And I'm down to dunk. I'm down to dunk. This is J-Dub, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shaco Alexander, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lindy Waters, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala, and I'm down to dunk. This is Jay Will, and I'm down to dunk. This is Kenneth Williams, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort, and I'm down to dunk. We say this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, as always, on Wednesdays is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, oh, what's up? What's up? Andrew, Wednesday. Well, it is Wednesday. The we've had a lot of Tuesday games this season, especially in the second half. It's been kind of nice. Yeah, post All Star break, we've had a lot of uh, some some breakdowns. And you know what else broke down last night was the Thunder in the fourth quarter. Complete complete meltdown, I would say. Complete meltdown. Wow, strong words from Andrew. Put that as the headline. Headline meltdown. They kind of did meltdown. <laughs> they lost 136-125. There's, uh, if you look on NBA.com, it kind of has the like the two colored, um, like shows you how the game went in like a graph, you know. Yeah. And it's just like thunder blue all the way, and then just like this like drop off, <laughs> and then it's just like warriors, you know, at the end. And that's that's how this game went. I feel like they kind of lost control of the game in the third quarter, mostly just because of the lack of shot making. And then Giddy and Dort really struggled to make anything in the third quarter, and they took a majority of the shots in the third quarter. They were 5 of 14 in the third quarter, 0 of 6 from 3. They still kind of stayed afloat, though, just because the Warriors didn't play great. You know, they were up 10 at half. They basically let go of that that lead in the third quarter, and then Jordan Poole just took over in the fourth. But the Warriors really just sold out to defend SGA and and J-Dub in the third quarter, and it uh, proved to be pretty effective. Yeah, and I think that that's the type of approach you're going to see from a lot of teams going forward. We've seen it a lot in this second half of the season, I feel like, especially in this run up to the play in or whatever happens mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah, they're just leaving certain guys wide open. And I think if this team did end up in a playoff situation, you would see that over and over again. And we would definitely have some games either from Giddy or from Dort, like we saw back in the 2020 bubble where they're kind of just forced to take those shots because they're wide open you know, this recent stretch, I think a lot of people have been focusing on the defense because the defense 
feels like it's taken this like huge drop off, even yeah. if cleaning the glass tells me it, it's been slightly worse, but yeah. not like terrible. But I do think the drop off in shooting for some of these main guys has been significant. And I didn't realize it necessarily for all of them. So in Giddy's first 35 games of the season, he shot 35.5% from three, which mm-hmm. was amazing. We were like, you know, we were expecting, oh, he might take a little bit of a regression first because he's changing his shot and then it'll prove over time. 35 games in, we were feeling, we were feeling good. We feeling, were like, it's solved. It's fixed. Feeling great. We got a shooter. Yep. In his last 40 games, more than half of the season, he is back down to 29% from three. Yeah. He shot 26% last year. Obviously, an improvement. It's an improvement. Uh, it's an improvement, but he's still under 30% in this last half of the season. Similarly, for Dort, in his first 47 games of the season, he shot 35.7% from three. Since coming back from injury in 26 games, 29% from three. So that's two guys during the stretch run who are playing a ton of minutes and are both shooting under 30% from three, which at some point hurts you because the way teams can play you. But also, you look at a game like last night, you're playing a team who's taking 47 threes. They hit 20 of them. They're outscoring you by 27 points just from the three-point line. It does become a math issue at some point when you're playing these guys who just cannot hit shots. And and the other one that I wanted to bring up was Jay Will, which everyone's probably more familiar with that one. Mm-hmm. He's not as bad, but in his first 28 games in the league was shooting 48% from three. It's good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Call it his, good. La- his last 20 games, 32.8%. And so those three guys have been in the starting lineup for a lot of this stretch run. And it's just made it a lot harder. Now, Chet is going to help with some of that mm-hmm. for sure yeah we assume that he is going to be a shooter um but like one of those other guys has to become a guy that you can trust where or at least that the defense cares about yeah. if you have two guys that the defense doesn't care about in your starting lineup yeah i don't care if you have chet out there it's still going to be super hard for them it's still going to be hard on Shea. yeah um so maybe they, if, maybe if, they draft if, a guy that could well, you want him. Anthony Blackie, Andrew? How's that going to help? I love him. So <laughs> awesome. They're not going to be. They're not going to be in his range. Uh, which I think who some, knows? Which I think who some knows? people would rejoice over. Uh, but I did want to bring up because you know that's a little downer stat on their shooting. But I did want to bring up how unlucky they have been against Golden State. So Golden State hit twenty threes last night. Mm-hmm. How many games this season, Andrew? Do you think that Golden State has hit twenty threes? Ooh, good question. Let's see. They played 80 games. 80 games. How many of those 80 games did they hit 23s? 15. Very close. 18. Okay. How many of those 18 games were against OKC? Three? Four. four Every four, single OKC game. Hey, they won one of them. I know. They won one. But every single OKC game against Golden State, they have hit 23s, which they have only done 18 times this season. Wow. So annoying because it does feel that way when you're, you know, just focusing on the Thunder games. It feels like every time we play Golden State, they're just draining <laughs> a ton of threes. And it turns out that's true. And it is weird because if you look at their splits against every Western Conference team, the only Western Conference team they are shooting better against, and it was mm-hmm. mostly because of a, an outlier game, was uh, against Phoenix. They're shooting 42% against Phoenix. They're shooting 40% against OKC this season, which. No other team or every other team in the Western Conference is below that. 
So some of this is just they've gotten unlucky in these Golden State games. Now, maybe you can attribute some of that to their defensive approach because they do have this approach where they tend to pack the paint and then they try to close out on shooters. And with a team who can shoot it as much and as quickly as Golden State, you know, maybe that's accounting for why Golden State is hitting 23s in these four games. I don't know. But I think some of it is also just luck and variance. And we have gotten the short end of the stick in these Warriors matchups. Uh, some of some of it last night was so there were there were two factors that I think that I would point to that were as big as the three point shooting one, which is a part of the three point shooting is second chance points, is that the the Warriors had thirty second chance points in this game to the Thunder's yeah. twelve, and then fast break points the Warriors had more fast break points than the Thunder, which is not not good <laughs> for OKC. That's the Thunder get more points off of turnovers than anybody else in the league. And they had 11 to the Warriors, 14. Like those, when you lose second chance points and fast break points, and you only outscore them in the paint by two, it's like, oh boy. And and honestly, the reason they were in that game at the start, like obviously they shot it really well. I mean, they, they survived a half where Golden State hit half of yeah, their they were they're amazing were in the good. first half they were they were cooking but part of that was that steve kerr started like the dumbest starting lineup that he possibly could <laughs> like he did not have kavon looney he did not have gp2 he did yeah. not have dante divincenzo yeah yeah the second those guys came out it completely changed the game because pool, all of a sudden yeah pool and Kaminga looney is like, like this huge body down low that is getting some of those second chance rebounds and DiVincenzo was really good in that game as well. He's good. And then man. GP2 late, I thought, was playing Shea well defensively. And to just not include any of those guys, I mean, I would have included two of those guys, and they did when they came out of the of the half. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they started with Looney and DiVincenzo. Yeah. But to to let a Steph lineup get down 17 to 9 with 618 left in the first quarter, I mean, that was really a gift to OKC that they started that way. Yeah, it was. Because that's that's half of the first quarter. They scored nine points. Mm-hmm. They were they, they were on pace to score thirty six points in that half. They would end the quarter with thirty six points because they'd go on that run uh, in the in the second half of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just thought that was a terrible choice by Kerr, and it was great because when I saw it, I was like, okay, we might actually have a chance here because you know we already knew Clay was out, Wiggins yep. was going to be out for this game. Yep. It felt like, okay, this is an opportunity, and then Kerr serves up that starting lineup. And yeah. they took advantage of it, and so you're like, okay, this is our shot. They, the Thunder have had about as much external help as possible during yeah. this run, and they have not taken advantage of it. And this one is like the most understandable because it's still Golden State at it's home. It's on the road at Chase. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, mean, winning, winning there has been really tough for any opponent. And now knowing that like they – cannot miss threes against us it does make me feel a little bit better that we're just completely unlucky this season against golden state in some respects um but yeah i i just thought that when right when looney checked in he had an immediate impact where he was grabbing a board over dort or someone and putting it back in yeah um so i don't know it it was a disappointing game but it's only disappointing in context of those two games they dropped against charlotte and Indiana. Yeah. If they win those games and they, they drop games. these games, like it's like it's I mean whatever. it's whatever kind of anyways, but yeah, it's really whatever in that case because yeah. these last two games they have played well. 
Mm-hmm. They've had stretches where they have played better than any of the those four games before. Yeah, I, I thought the execution, this is something that Mark talked about after the game, the execution wasn't great. Overall, the effort was there, though. And just like if that effort was there during those Charlotte and Indy games, like you'd think that they get those. I mean, a guy named Lester Quinones uh, hit a three against the Thunder last night. And so, really? Yeah. I didn't even, that must have been at the very, I think I turned it off when I saw um, uh, Butler coming into when the they, game. When they emptied the benches, yeah. 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 When, wow, well, good for him. You know, when that happens, that. Uh, Things are not either, either they're going very well, very or, well yeah. or not well at all. <laughs> it, they just dropped off a cliff. It just felt like they ran out of gas, honestly. There at the end, it just yeah, it, it was it was just a bad series of events because they have that third quarter where they give up the lead, but at least it's you know it, they're up by four going into the fourth. Yeah, they Golden State takes it very seriously. Like their opening lineup was. Actually, I don't even know if I would say they took it super seriously because they didn't have Draymond or Steph on the court. It was Jordan Poole, GP2, Looney, mm-hmm. DiVincenzo, and Moses Moody. And by the time they check out and Steph and Draymond come back in at the 724 mark, the game is tied. Mm-hmm. But even at that point, you're like, okay, like, yes, we've given up this lead, but we got a tie game right now. Shea's coming back in. J Dub's eventually coming back in. Like, we, we should at least have a shot here. And Shea really tried to keep them in it after the technical, which we should talk about that because I thought Mark gave a really good description of what happened. Yeah. Shea really tried to keep them in. There were a couple of possessions in a row where he made some mid-range shots just to keep it within like five or six. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, as long as they hang around here. But then there was a missed Dort three followed by a pool three that went took the game from a, possibly being down five again to now being down 11 that really – by, 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 by that point, it felt like it was over. Yeah. Um, that was a barrage. But, but we should talk about, in case anyone didn't watch the game. So there's this point in the game in the fourth quarter, a very important point of the game, yeah. where Shea has a bad pass to Giddy, where he thought Giddy was going to cut. Giddy didn't cut. Maybe it, was on, maybe it was Giddy's fault. It goes out of bounds. Draymond gets the ball from the ref, passes in immediately. Mm. Meanwhile, J-Dub is waiting at the scorer's table to be let in. And it's a dead ball situation, which the rest should have done. The Warriors go down, end up getting a super easy layup from Draymond, just unguarded. Um, yep. They call a timeout, and Mark is more mad than I've ever seen him at any point over his coaching tenure. Not just for like the intensity, but for the duration as well. Like, He's trying to he prove was- a point. He was screaming at this ref, and afterwards, he explained it. And uh, I didn't even really—I haven't really heard that talked about a ton. Which is this idea that when the ball, when there's a dead ball situation, the ref has some discretion as to how quick he lets the team pass the ball in. Yep. And so guys like Draymond Green have figured this out, and and players across the league, not just Draymond, and are trying to get the ball as quickly as they can from the ref, not necessarily to delay J-Dub coming in, but to try to get a potential transition opportunity Yeah, because the defense won't be set. Yeah, And he was pissed because earlier in the game, if the exact same scenario had happened to OKC where Dort was calling for the ball from the ref mm-hmm. and they didn't give it to him. Mm-hmm. And so he felt like there had been this double standard and there had been. And he, you know, he said like the refs knew it was a problem. And I think if he hadn't have yelled at them... S- 
as long as he did, he might not have even have gotten a tech. Yeah. Because the ref absorbed a lot before actually giving the tech, which the, let the, me know that like they knew they had screwed they up. They will take on a lot if they if if they know that they were wrong. Yeah. But I felt like Mark wanted a tech. Yeah. I think he want. I think he wanted it. You know, and he's and he has said this before. That a lot of times he will be the one to go at the officials so that the players don't. And like yeah. he knows that like he he wants to take on that and has told the players that. And so it's just fun to see him <laughs> get so worked up over things. And the Thunder, that that specific kind of play, the Thunder are pretty notorious for like going and getting the ball. I've seen Dort grab the ball from officials before. Yeah, you know, go over to them and just like grab the ball and then get the the ball in play. They like to get it in play quickly. They know that that's that that's an advantage, and they take they do that on a game to game basis. But you know, the Mark did not like <laughs> that they. And I remember the play when Dort was trying to get it. You know, he's clapping for the ball. He's yelling at the official, giving the ball, and they take a couple seconds. And it was a it was a slight delay. It wasn't like a egregious delay, I didn't think. But they really needed J Dub in there. You know, J Dub has obviously been one of the best players for them since the All Star break. Like, good on both ends. He's just steady, especially since like Isaiah Joe is completely cooled off. I mean, Isaiah Joe is 34% from three since the All-Star break. And yeah, though he was very good offensively last night. Yeah, he played well last night. He just hasn't been as reliable since the All-Star break and hasn't been like the guy that he was pre-All-Star break that was just, I mean, he was automatic from three for a while. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like the three-point numbers there, but, you know, like Shea... Uh, J Dub and Giddy have all been really good post All Star break. If you look at Giddy that, has been. <clears throat> if you look at that trio, just like their overall numbers since the All Star break, yeah, Giddy's seventeen, eight, and seven on forty seven, thirty four. Gosh, sixty four from the line, but forty seven, thirty four since the All Star break for Giddy is like okay, like I I can accept that, you know, especially when it's seventeen, eight, and seven. And then you look at J-Dub. Since the All-Star break, 19 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, almost 2 steals per game, 55, 44, 88. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's over yeah, a span of 21 great. games. And then Shea. Shea's, I think he might be leading the NBA in points per game since the All-Star break, or at least he's in like the top three, which is nuts. Whenever you consider, like, Donovan Mitchell has had four 40-point games in a row, and Joel Embiid just had 52. You know, he hasn't had, you know, any crazy scoring games, but he's just so consistent. He's 33.7 points per game since the All-Star break in those 14 games. He's 33-5-5, basically, with Mm. 1.7 steals. 52, 38 from three, 89% from the line. I mean, that is ridiculous. <laughs> that is so absurd. Those three have played really well. And then you look at guys like Dort. Dort, since the All-Star break, 34% from the field. Like, that feels about right. 
uh, Isaiah Joe, 41% from the field. I mean, just just rough. Uh, Trey Mann hadn't played a lot, but he's only 35% from the field during that stretch. Jay Will is 40% from the field as, a, as like their starting center <laughs> since the yeah. All-Star break. Um, hey, those are uh, Bill Russell numbers. <laughs> he used to shoot like 45% from the field, so hey. He took a kajillion shots. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I just, I, I think some of these guys are running out of gas a little bit. And I think that they, you know, you lose a guy like Kenrich, he would have filled such a significant role on this team had he been able to play. I mean, they really need, I mean, he was, he only played four games post all-star break. He's playing 26 minutes a game. Like they, they really miss that kind of guy coming off the bench. So I think I think Lou brings like the energy that you want starting, but like just bringing a guy off the bench because like Wiggs is really good and he was good last night and he shot the ball well since the All Star break. He's fifty forty eighty since the All Star break. Yeah, he's break. been great and um, he's he's brought some of that hustle that Kenrich brings. But Kenrich is just bigger and can do more defensively. He's bigger and also there was a there was like that Moses Moody rebound and dunk off of a free throw. Yeah, that like he just like got just muscled wigs out of the way. Yeah. You're just like, man, it was like it's just like those little plays, you know, that kind of like sprinkle in where you're just like, man, like that was a chance for the Thunder to like to grab the board or at least like defend him. But for him to grab the ball and just dunk it there on the spot, it's just like that was, you know, it's those moments where you're like, okay. Like, Wiggs could have brought it a little bit more. I think whenever, like, the defense is set, I think he's really good. I just think there are there are these, like, little lapse moments that I think I think particularly like, get on Mark's nerves because, like, Mark has talked about how in specific games that, like, Wiggs didn't play very well or, like, Wiggs will be in and out of the rotation. And so I wonder if it's those plays, you know, that, that lead to Mark feeling the way that he does. But overall, I think Wiggins is – I mean, he's what like the fifth best player on the team during this stretch. Yeah, and fourth I think best that, maybe. Uh, yeah, and if you look at his box scores over the season, like this is the most he's played in a four-game span since the very beginning of the season. Like games three through six, so three, four, five, six. That was when he played the most amount of minutes. Since then, it's been this recent stretch right now. So it does feel like. Mark is letting us know, even with those lapses, he still trusts him more than any of his other options Yeah, off the bench. Um, and that would probably be different if Kenrich was healthy. But mm-hmm. based on what he has right now, it does seem like he's letting us know that he trusts Wiggins. Um, you know, maybe he's not the seventh guy in reality. Maybe he's more like the ninth or tenth guy. But if Wiggins is your ninth or tenth guy, you're feeling great. You're doing great. It, you're doing awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so you you bring back Kenrich, you bring you add Chet, maybe you add another player or someone else develops on the current roster that can mm-hmm. fill one of those other bench spots. Sar. And all of a sudden, yeah, Sar. All of a sudden you have like a nine or ten man rotation that you yeah. feel good about all the way down. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that probably if Kenrich was playing in this game, they just don't play Sharich at all. Yeah, maybe. Like you basically yeah, just play Kenrich, Wiggins, and Joe off the bench. 
Yeah, because as a reminder, the uh, Kenrich at center lineups were ridiculously good. I mean, they didn't so good. Play, they didn't get a ton of minutes before yeah. he was he, he was hurt, but they were really good. I'll look it up right now. Um, it's painful. It's painful to think. Yeah, about. they were. <laughs> so it was only twenty three percent of his minutes, but they were a plus sixteen point one in those minutes. That's um, I'd say good. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, that's that's the 100th percentile. <laughs> they were particularly good on offense. They scored 130.7 points per possession, which would also be 100th percentile. Yeah. While only giving up 114.6 points per possession. Mm-hmm. Again, it's 23% of his minutes, but that is definitely the type of experiment that Mark would have gone to probably over these, you know, because he's gone back and forth with J. Will and JRE yeah. in this stretch run. We would have seen a ton of Kenrich at the five lineups. Yeah, both those and, guys, and that would have been the difference in at least one of those Charlotte or Indiana games. Yeah, and I mean, I like Jay Will, and you can feel pretty good about him if he's just like a guy that plays against bench units. You know, you're like okay, that's fine. You know, but like Jeremiah, I mean, Jeremiah not playing in these games says says a little bit about where he's at. Um, disappointing just because of the thoughts that we had about him before the season overall. But yeah, yeah, they, they, they miss Kenrich quite a bit. Um, what do you, what do you think of Jang? Jang played eight minutes in this game. Played eight minutes. Yeah. He had the, uh, he had the one, it was, it could definitely go on a blooper reel where he kind of pushed his body into pool. Was that Jordan pool? Yeah, it was. Jordan. Yeah. And then it was just like, bowling ball style they just it was like comical they fall over and he almost like hesitates like did i hurt them and then he just like finger rolls you know the ball in the hoop and gets an and one and they, st- they stop the game and like check everything yeah. out they end up challenging it and it was like oh my gosh it's like those kind of stoppages that just drive me crazy but you know that was a cool move it was a cool move uh you know it it's I don't want to say it was like out of control, but it was just so different from anything he's ever done before that yeah. it felt out of character for Jang. Like I've just never seen him make that kind of move. And those are the kind of moves that I want to see specifically when he gets matched up on smaller players yeah. that he could bully like that. Yeah. You're, like you're almost seven feet tall. Yeah. And sometimes he plays like he's six four. And so to mm-hmm. see him attack Jordan Poole like that was great. You know, that that's what I want to see because there's going to be a lot of times where other teams feel comfortable just throwing their weakest defender on Usman Jang mm-hmm. because why would they, you know, trust him? Like, they're, they're not going to trust his shot right now and they're not going to trust him to really be a creator in the half court. So, yeah, why wouldn't you put Jordan Poole on him? And he needs to do things like that for teams to s- start respecting him <laughs> a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate that he's been getting these minutes that he you know he's been the main beneficiary of the developmental minutes over these last couple games and i think that's made sense based on what they gave up for him and kind of what their hopes are for him long term so i'm fine with that i also understand why he's only playing eight minutes um, because there are a lot of moments where he does look like a rookie more than you know i mean comparing him to j-dub isn't fair at all but he he really looks like a rookie in some moments. Yeah, like 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 tr- a traditional rookie. What they typically look like. Yeah, yeah. It is really 
un, it is un, it's unfair to him in so many ways that one of like the most steady rookies that the Thunder have ever had is on this team. Yeah, he's like a vet rookie that <laughs> we got. In he's J-Dog. so good. He's unbelievable, and like he's. I mean, he kind of. I mean. J Dub has like the entire package of like what any fan base would want out of a rookie. Like he plays pretty consistently. He makes like wow plays. He dunks. He's got the personality. He's got the he's online. super efficient. He's efficient, which like nerds love us. Yeah. Um, and he's got the he goes online- to vintage stock. He goes to vintage stock. He's got the online personality. He's got the YouTube deal. Um, my kids got to meet him over the weekend, and he was just delightful. Like everything about him is just great. And then, like you have Jang, who you feel bad for. Him. Like he's definitely a project. Great smile, uh, Brantan says in the in the chat. Um, yeah, he's got everything. And then you have Jang, who's got like language barrier. He's got he's he's just he's younger. Like he's a lot younger than J Dub. He's got all these other things where. He kind of gets forgotten, you know. Yeah. Within all of this, because when we talk about the rebuild, we talk about Shay and J Dub and Giddy and Chet, and then we're like, and who they're gonna draft in twenty three, you know? And we just don't even mention him at all. And a lot of that is like he just hadn't played a whole lot this season, and when he has played, there's been some encouraging games, and there's been some games where you're like, where where is he at all? Um, but we'll see where he is after this summer. You know, he's he's definitely far further ahead of where like Poku was after year one, where you just like I f- I feel more comfortable with him as a development project than I did with Poku after year one. Um, <laughs> Though he did have the uh, missed dunk in the Golden State game, which I, I replayed that multiple times to see what actually happened on that play, and I could not figure out. He didn't get fouled, but it looked like Jordan Poole. He got his hand somewhere. Yeah. But it was like in and out. And yeah. It bounced really high. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they didn't call a foul on it. Yeah, yeah. He's had a, a few of those missed dunks like that. Yeah. But anyways, we don't know. We we just honestly just don't know with Jang what he's going to be or what he could be. But I think the tough thing for him is, you know, if he was actually playing on the team – that everyone thought this team was going to be based on their over-under, he would have gotten so much more on-court, in-game developmental time. Oh, yeah. I mean, he would have been playing 25-plus minutes a night, especially at this point of the season. Yep. You you remember, you look back at someone like Baisley, he got so much developmental time <laughs> compared to any rookie that's going to be coming in in the future. I mean, he got multiple seasons of being able to go out there and work on his game and try to develop into a player that made sense for the Thunder. It ended up not working, but that opportunity is like never coming again at this point. Yeah. Like where this team is now, the guys that they're going to be drafting in these subsequent drafts, like it's going to be hard for them to get Baisley type minutes unless they're actually good. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, he's played, let's see, Jang has played 500 minutes this year. Baisley in year three. Played 1,700 minutes. In year two, he played a le- Wait, nope. Yep. In year two, or in year one, he played 1,100 minutes. Year two, he played 1,700 minutes. In year three, he played 1,900 minutes. That's actually crazier that he played 1,100 minutes on the bubble team. Because that was a shortened season, and he was a rookie on a good playoff team, and they were still able to find him 1,100 minutes. 
he was pretty good off the bench. I mean, he shot 35% from three. Yeah. I remember feeling very encouraged. That's the thing is like rookies that play like small roles that even statistically like they, I mean, he shot under 40% from the field, but 34% from three. Um, you know, he was kind of boxed in that year where it was, hey, you're going to shoot corner threes and you're going to play defense. Yeah. You know, he shot 62 free throws the entire season, <laughs> you know. And that's that's kind of the thing with Jang where, like, you, you feel good about him defensively, but how long can he shoot 27% from three and the team is able to keep rolling him out there? Yeah. Like, that, that's – he's going to have to find something – he can do consistently on offense. Yeah. Cause right now when he has good plays on offense, it kind of just feels like these one off, like, Oh, that was a really nice drive by Oos. And we remember them specifically. Like we remember every play because part of it is he's not getting a ton of minutes. Um, but part of it is I still don't really know what his game is right now. Cause yeah. it's certainly not being a corner three point shooter. I mean, th- they would probably like him to be that, but he's one of the worst shooters on the team. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what he looks like in summer league because he'll definitely be playing in summer He's league. A summer league player for show, and and that is an environment where you would hope he would step up, yeah, um, and have some good games because he is going to be one of the better players that OKC has to offer in summer league. Assuming that like J Dub and Giddy aren't going to be playing, although we'll see. I would be f- um, I'd be floored. You know, there's yeah. like a level that players hit. For year two, that you're like, yeah, they they're not playing summer league. I feel like J yeah. is that. We haven't had a player like that in a long time. That's true. I mean, I thought it was with Giddy, and then he showed up, and it was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. He also missed so much time there at the end of the season. That yeah, and and he really wanted to play. That was kind of a cool part of summer league for him. Is like he just really wanted to get out there and play. And you look, I mean, J Dub is going to play a lot of games. I mean, he's already hit. He'll, if he plays the next two, 76 games. That's nice. He might be like, okay, I'll take a break this yeah. summer and just work on my game. Because the thing with Summer League is you have to like get ready to play Summer League and you have to take yourself out of your summer, you know, pl- you know, plan and routine and everything to go and do that. And so I would rather guys like Giddy and J Dub just. Like stay in your summer routine. You know, they'll come to Vegas, but like they'll work out and they do like the team works out and stuff together in Vegas. Um, typically, I don't know if they will this year or not, but yeah, you just, you hope that those guys just take time to do their thing. And then you get to see a lot of, a lot of Jang. I don't know. I, I would be surprised if Chet played summer league. <laughs> I don't think Chet's playing summer league. I would be shocked. If they did that, but, and then you get the, whoever they draft. I know that's, what's so crazy. Cause you look at the rotation for next year. We assume like the guys in the starting five and then plus Kenrich plus Isaiah Joe, those are guys you're probably playing most games. Yeah. Those seven. And so who is going to make a big enough impression this summer and through the preseason where, Mark either feels like they need to be a part of this kind of end of bench rotation, guys who are getting regular minutes, mm-hmm. or is one of those guys so good that they solidify themselves as like the eighth person 
in that rotation where you feel like you have to play them every night because they're that good. Yeah. I mean, that would be the dream for me, especially because, you know, if I'm still seeing like, <laughs> I mean, if Trey Mann is playing like this and is still playing minutes next year, yeah, I, I, I just don't know how that will happen. I think that would be a lot harder to do. It's going to get increasingly harder to find these minutes for the end of the roster guys. So who is going to step up out of that group? And there's such a huge group to choose from. Like I know Mark is going to do the the rotational thing mm-hmm. going forward, but when they're healthy, is it is going to be a lot harder for him to do that. Yeah, when it's go time next season, it'll be really intriguing to see who makes the cut. Yeah, you know, I think so- somebody that we think is good right now may not make the cut. I mean, he, such huge seasons or, or off seasons for you know J Will Jerry. Uh, Jang, although Jang has probably a longer runway than these yeah, other guys. Yeah, he's got a long leash. Yeah. Um, Poku. Poku. You know, are they going to bring back Lindy, who's who's gotten a lot of minutes recently? Um, yeah. Playing that, that game. And then Trey Mann. Yeah, Trey Mann. It's a Mann. ton of guys. It's a big summer for Trey Mann. If he wants to make it, it's a, it's a really big summer for him. Um, okay, let's take a quick break. And we'll come back. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit. About- I, 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 Andrew, I have my top five wins of the season. I didn't tell you that, but I, I ranked my top five okay. wins of the season. Okay. We have a couple different topics. One of them is top five wins of the season. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a... mm, 
real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And we're back after that quick break. Al, have you have you watched any of the draft prospects? Like, did you watch any of the tournament or anything? Um, I watched some of it. I've been reading. I've been starting to read a lot, and uh, you know, like uh, Box and One yeah. start, started to do all their videos. Yep. Uh, Floor and Ceiling, who I really like, started to do their videos. Yep. So I'm finally starting to dive in. Anybody pique your interest thus far? I got to be honest. I don't love this draft. I don't feel like there are a lot of guys that I can instantly see how they fit on the Thunder. It's a weird draft. It is a weird group because, honestly, like past the Wimbenyama, Scoot, Brandon Miller guys. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about the Thompson twins. (laughs) Especially in in the context of OKC. In the context of this team, I don't know how to feel about them. I I, I, I like Anthony Black as a Thunder player. As far as like fitting on the team, the current team, like he would have to be a bench player, you know. Like yeah. I don't, I don't see him as like a starting level guy. Um, Cam Whitmore's not a Thunder guy. Jarris Walker is slightly a Thunder guy. Um, it, it's there's and then there's players like in this group where the Thunder will be. It's like Nick Smith and Bryce Sensabaugh and Keontae George. Like how do we? I don't, I don't know. I guess and I think it's a weird group. Part of the struggle for me is even if they end up drafting at like 12, I'm still thinking of that pick as like we could potentially get a starter here. Yeah. And so then I start looking at the roster and I'm like, okay, what kind of things do we need in the starting lineup? Yeah. And it's kind of obvious. Like I I do feel like they could use some size and some physicality next to Chet. But just by thinking that, it's like, okay, well, now I'm having to bump out Dort or Giddy Mm -hmm. from the starting lineup. If I bump out Dort, okay, now I definitely need, like, I would want to add some defense. Some kind of player. defender. And yeah. so that's how I kind of get to Jarris Walker because he kind of fits that mold. If mm-hmm. I was looking for a starter, like, next to Chet. Um, yeah. If I'm just thinking of bench guys, like, yeah, like, you know, maybe one of these shooters will really grab me. I think Taylor Hendricks also I should throw in there as well as a guy who could potentially check a lot of those boxes too. Yeah. As a potential starter next to Chet, if that's where we think the biggest, you know, hole in the starting lineup is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of choosing a bench guy, I don't know. Like I really don't want to take a shooter who doesn't who, who people are very down on their defense. 
Yeah. I don't really want to take that guy. Although maybe like if the the idea of Trey Mann yeah. would be nice on this team. Like somebody that just gets buckets. Yeah. And so maybe I should be more open to trying to redo the Trey Mann pick and find someone else who could fill that role. Maybe mm-hmm. I should be more. And maybe that would be a person like Jordan Hawkins or something. Jordan Hawkins is a madman. Yeah, um, is that do you think that's good or bad? Offensively, he I love him. I he's he's definitely not he doesn't like check the thunder boxes, but boy, he runs around like crazy and can stop on a dime and just drain a three. And yeah. with this team, you know, I mean they have the guys to find him, you know. And like that kind of guy Similar, like Grady Dick can do the same kind of stuff. You know, those kind of players, you're like, okay, you could see offensively how they'd fit. Um, Jordan Hawkins, is, I mean, I mean, if he were six eight or six seven, he would be way out of the Thunder's range. But he's six five, and so you kind of worry about, okay, how does he fit in? I know that that's because then I'm thinking, okay, what are the things that the Thunder tr- traditionally looked for? It's size, size for, for position. position. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. And then I was reading Jonathan Wasserman, and <laughs> he had this line about Jordan Hawkins. Teams have to ask about the upside of a 6'5", non-creator, passer, or defensive playmaker. <laughs> I know. I was that. like, well, that sounds like a lot of Thunder things <laughs> that he He literally doesn't. doesn't he, he literally lists the things that he isn't <laughs> as all the Thunder things. I know. <laughs> but I, there's just something about him that I love that I know that, like, Giddy and Shay and J-Dub, like, they would find that dude. You know, he would get buckets on this team. And so I I like him. I think he's really fun. However, like the non-playmaking stuff is like, I don't know. Keontae George doesn't have size for position. That's the biggest concern for him to me. And But like he can playmake a little bit. He can get buckets. He's super young. Um, I still am a fan of him. But like the guy overall in this range that just is like, yeah, this is slightly a thunder guy is Ryan Rupert, you know, or Rayon. Rayon Rupert. Yeah. Yeah. He, he can do a little bit of everything. Cra- oh my God. This sounds like Jang. Crazy young played for the New Zealand breakers. Uh huh. <laughs> this is sounding familiar to me he just kind of screams thunder in so many ways just because he can handle a little bit he can play make a little bit he can do a little bit of everything and he's going to be the international mystery man of the draft you know great which we've taken poku he's definitely (laughs) the man of mystery in that draft and we've taken jang who i would say was probably the man of mystery in his draft yeah i know I know. I mean, there's definitely the case to be made for the guys. It's like they're trying to redo the Giannis pick. It's like we have to take every mystery man going forward (laughs) just in case. Yeah. He does have size for position. Like on the wing, he's 6'6". He's got crazy long arms. Um, I don't know. Vecini loves him. Yeah. Adding – what's what's his shot like? Or what's what are people's – thoughts on his shot it's not it's not bad it's not like elite but yeah. it's not bad i mean listen if they take one of these actual shooters yeah i i'm, I'm not going to complain even if they're i, know, I would size. be a little mm. fl- i'd be a little 
shocked if they did. Just looking at the guy, the actual shooters that are available. Like, but talk, don't you think? Talking. I mean, about they did Hawkins. that with Trey Mann. Yeah, I mean, it, at eighteen, you know, would they do the same thing at twelve? I don't know. I don't know. This team is screaming for more shooting. Please, yeah, I know. Please, Lord. Trust I mean, me, I was I, looking at. Yeah, Shea had like a really nice game uh, from three last night. <laughs> Shot two for four. Yeah, I was like, but he was taking a couple step backs. Like they weren't necessarily even wide open. Yeah, it was like, oh, Shea's being a little confident from three tonight. That's great. Yeah. Do you know how many games this season SGA has hit at least two threes? He's played in sixty-seven games. It's got to be like seventeen or something. It's 14. That was his 14th game where he's yeah. hit two threes, two. And either that has to change or there has to be other volume shooters around Shea. Mm-hmm. And and those volume shooters, at least last night, cannot be Dort and Giddy. Yeah. Unless unless they dramatically improve their shooting yeah. going forward. Yeah. So that's why I, I just have a hard time with the idea of drafting another shooter unless I could see the bigger plan of like, okay, well, we're moving this guy out of the starting lineup. We're, we're shifting things around this way. This is how it could potentially work. Yeah. If they're bringing more non-shooting off of the bench when there's already a lack of shooting in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. I, I do think <laughs> that could be like the new cap on their ceiling in the way that not having a center has been a cap on their ceiling these last couple seasons especially this season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be all for bringing in a, a guy that can shoot the basketball. You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the problem is, like, I'm not sure that Hawkins or Dick are the guys. They might not be. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I, there, there is not, or at least I haven't found yet, the perfect prospect, the guy who I'm all in on. Maybe Even, I will. I mean, Brandon Miller is probably the closest thing to it. Yeah, probably. You know, who like six foot nine, good defender, can score, can like not a bad passer, not like a great passer. And would have a significantly reduced offensive role in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Which makes you feel better about some of his offensive issues. Yeah. But then like you go down the list, like I don't quite trust Jarris Walker's shot. Um, Cam Whitmore, again, not thundery. Anthony Black is very, very, very thundery, but. I mean, he's six six seven, can pass, can dribble, can get to the hoop. He kind of does all the things that a lot of the guys we have already do. Um, great size <laughs> for a position, 19 years old. There's a lot of very thundery things about him. Apparently great personality, like really good kid. Doesn't shoot. <laughs> like it takes him a while to load that, load, that, load that shot up, and like that's his only flaw. And... And it's amazing how much of our thinking about the future shooting of this team is going to fall on the shoulders of right now J Dub, who you know has significantly improved his shot over the year, shot yeah. forty over forty percent in college. Yeah. We feel good about his future. Yeah, as a potential high volume shooter. Definitely. The only other one you would probably say is Isaiah Joe, who was a guy who you know wasn't in our future plans at the beginning of the season. Yep. And now it feels like we have to hold on to Joe. Yeah, because especially if you're going to draft someone like Anthony Black or Ryan Rupert mm-hmm. or any of these other guys who you don't feel great about their shot, the importance of Isaiah Joe just goes through the roof. Yeah, and I don't know if I feel great about that. I don't know if I feel great about putting that much 
It's a lot of, of pressure. Our shooting future hopes on Isaiah Joe. That's a lot of Joe That's, pressure. That's a lot of Joe a lot pressure. Of Joe. It it is a it is a it is a weird draft. It is it is definitely a weird draft where you look. I at don't it. love it. And there's and like if you're Detroit, yeah, I'm worried because if you don't get Weminyama or Brandon Miller, yeah, I know. And now you're trying to fit in Scoot, or, or you're trying to fit in one of the Thompson twins, Tom, yeah, with Ivy and Cade, Cam Whitmore. That's like, a that's a it's a scary draft for them. It is. I think Houston's the one team <laughs> where everyone kind of works. Like they any of those guys, it's all so bad five. that it's just like whatever. Like we're just yeah, yeah. they're great there. Um, similarly for the Spurs, I think they could fit a lot of different guys in. But yeah, I don't know. I I keep looking at this draft and I can't say that I'm like super excited right now. Yeah, this maybe is, I will get there. Yeah, this is definitely. I, I feel the same way, and I've watched a lot of these guys. There's just there's a lot of these guys that are in like that nine to fifteen range that I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of out. And uh, like Sensabaugh from Ohio State, like I'm out. You know, Jet Howard, I'm kind of out. Um, I know, and it and it's like if if what it's if it's true about Nick the Smith, next I'm year's draft, out. yeah that the next year's draft is supposed to be like one of the worst in recent memory. If that's true. Yeah. Then I'm feeling really down. Cause I'm like, man, I at least send us off with a, a fun draft before we go to this bad one. <laughs> and I, I don't know. This draft just isn't. There's for a, me. there's yeah. a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of fun players and I'm just so curious to see what OKC does. Like, I just don't, and and who is going to be the riser? Because at this point last season, J-Dub was not being talked about as a lottery pick. There's yeah. going to be someone who has that same type of rise. And that could very well be the guy that OKC starts or, or OKC decides to pick in that late lottery. Yeah. Um, there could be someone projected, you know, in the 20 to 30 range right now mm-hmm. that is actually going to be the target. Yeah. And so maybe I just need to expand my horizons a little bit. Because I have been focusing on guys like Grady Dick and and yeah. Hawkins and all those Jet Howard, all those like shooters that are being talked about in the mm-hmm. teens, or or like right at the ten range, but maybe it is someone that we're just not talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think for other teams, it's it's not that weird. It's not that bad of a draft or that weird of a draft, just because I think other teams aren't quite looking for for the same things that thunder are. Um, yeah. But like the, the thundery guys are just not plentiful. There, but there track. are a lot of guys that fill needs. Yeah. There, there's, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can, you can go through like Taylor Hendricks. Would he fill a need on this team? Like, yeah, I think he'd play a lot. Would Jarris Walker fill a need on this team? Yeah. I think he could play too. Um, it's just all the shooters would fill need, obviously. The shooters would it's just the playmaking aspect that I'm that the Thunder have really zeroed in on. And I I don't know, man. I'm just I guess I would just say with the playmaking thing, like how good do they actually have to be? Because Isaiah Joe wasn't thought of as a playmaker coming into the season, but he has clearly ha- he clearly has a baseline level of ball handling skills and passing skills yeah. where he still makes sense on this Thunder team, even though you would have never talked about Isaiah Joe as a Thunder guy in that way. Yeah. I just view it. I just view it in different buckets, I guess. Like there's like the, 
hey, we found this dude for nothing bucket. Great. Does he fit everything that we want? No. But is, were well, there we would things, say the same thing about like? Dort. Yeah, Dort's the same way. I'm talking about like picking in the lottery. Yeah, but I mean, Dort's like a starter on this team where we think that philosophy is so important. Like he is playing 30 plus minutes I know. every single I night. Just, I just, I have not seen the Thunder, a willingness from the Thunder in the last few drafts to pick somebody high in the draft that doesn't check those boxes, I guess is what I would say. It's interesting though, you look back to the first, the, the Katie Russ era. When they started getting high picks and they knew the team was good, mm-hmm. they were consistently going for need. Yeah, they did. Um, like it's they true. Cole, Cole Aldrich because they needed a center. Yep. Took campaign because they needed a backup point guard. They took Steven, Steven Adams, Adams because they needed a center. Yeah. Like they did in that era go for need over like swinging for the fences on Giannis or something. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You know, may- so who knows? Maybe they think this core is good enough where they can just that, start targeting need. That's a great point because perhaps the idea of Shea, Giddy, J Dub, Chet is like, oh, okay. Like I feel you have to feel really good about those four players, yeah, and what they can be moving forward. And so, I would, I would even like it would make more sense with this draft looking at it to say. Okay, let's find a piece that complements them rather than going for what we had been going for. Like that that to me makes sense. I don't know if that will be how the Thunder handle it, but to me that makes sense. That's where a guy like Grady Dick makes theoretical sense. A six seven lights out shooter. Great. Yeah. Like sign me up for that. You know, Taylor Hendricks, six foot nine, great shot blocker, can shoot, but doesn't play make. Like not a guy that can that can do that. Like, are you willing to sacrifice that just to fill the role? I'm not sure if they are. I'm not sure if if that's the case or not. Jairus Walker can do a little bit more, but I just don't trust the shot as much. And, like, adding, like, another shaky shooter that you're drafting to be a starter, like you said, is not necessarily the the way you want to go. And that's why this draft is just really imperfect unless you're taking Victor Wembanyama. Or and Brandon Miller, and I just don't know that the Thunder would take Brandon Miller, even if they were at three. Like, are we sure the Thunder would take Brandon Miller with the the legal trouble and everything that's gone on around him? Like, I'm I am not sure <laughs> that they would take him, even though he is like the perfect type of player. Like, if you could create a player that this team needs, it's like, oh, six foot nine, can shoot, can do all these things. Great, let's go. But the personality. And who you are means a lot to this team. It means a lot, and they're not. I don't think they're willing to sacrifice that. Um, and it, and it may turn out like he does amazing in interviews. He and- may be great. I I have never talked to him, never met him. I just know that the things surrounding him are not good. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and it may at, at it may have not time, been like- him. So I I I don't know. I'm not going to speak to that. But I just. I just know that if your your name is floating around in the media with those the the accusations that are going around, it's like it's not good. And obviously, this is a much uh, less relevant situation. But this is the same team that drafted Mitch McGarry, 
who also had like issues surrounding him. One of the and one of the biggest. I mean, I I will never, never understand how <laughs> that ever happened. It's a penalty if you fail a drug test, um, but you know, like I said, it happens, and hopefully some kids can learn from it. But just don't get caught. That was right <laughs> after they drafted him. How did you? How do you have that on cue? Right. Why at, is that queued up? Right after. Don't worry about it. Um, that was right after. That's at the rookie transition program. They had just drafted him. How in the world does he interview with the Thunder and they draft him? I don't know. That, 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 that one weird. I just don't get. And it and it's in the twenties. It's different than drafting in It is. And in it's the smoking lottery. pot. It's not like having a gun in your car that was eventually used in a murder. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. They're they are, wildly different. Vastly different. And the NBA even says like they don't care about players smoking yeah. pot anymore. You know, they've They've stamped that, but still, still, <laughs> it, did, still. it did seem out of character for the Thunder. And you just wonder yeah. if they would ever do another out of character new move because they feel like their environment is so good that like they're going to be able to shape whoever they bring in. Like if, if you feel so good about your culture that it's like nothing can really touch this culture yeah. at this point, and we can we can help someone transition into our culture and make them. Yeah. We have so many good guys in here that like, they're just yeah. gonna, they're going to fit in. I mean, if they, if the thunder traded up and drafted Brandon Miller, I would be stoked. <laughs> like I would, yeah, because it, it's like the most obvious high upside fit. Yeah. for What they need. You would feel great about it. You would feel so good about it. Um, but yeah, everybody else. I mean, honestly, if they took Taylor Hendricks, that would be another one where I feel really good about it because they, are willing to overlook the the passing playmaking portion of it and feel good enough about everything else. Yeah, and that, I think that would satisfy uh, a portion of the Thunder fan base who really wants John Collins. This is like <laughs> his peace, precious yeah. peace offering. Like, here's Taylor Hendricks. We yeah. have John Collins at home. You don't need to worry about trading for John Collins anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no perfect prospect from four to fifteen. But to be honest, last year we were not looking at this draft as like J Dub is the perfect prospect to be taking at the end of the no. The lottery. I, I had him as and a, he ended up being the perfect. He ended up being like he is so thunder. He's so thunder and he's so good. No one knew he'd be this good. No one knew he'd be this good. But even just like thinking about him as like that's a definite thunder player. Yeah. Like I just wasn't. I just didn't think they way. would take him that high. I just yeah. thought. Because he was in like the seventeen to twenty range, and I just thought, okay, he's being projected so much lower than where they're picking. I had him as a dark horse candidate, I think, with Michele on Thunder After Dark at the like toward the in, toward like draft time, but I didn't think of him as like a a true candidate. And you look at the the other guys that were available uh, around like the eleven twelve range, like Jalen Duran. We're talking about him a lot. Uh, Mark Williams. People were talking about him a lot. Uh, AJ Griffin, we discussed him a ton. You know, it was those guys that we were talking about mostly. Um, maybe if Jeremy Sohan dropped, um, you know, talk, talking about Shaden Sharp even dropping that far. Yeah. You know, yeah. to the Thunder. Um, we talked about Jang. I think we were both pretty terrified of drafting Jang. I even like did like a little fist pump when the Knicks drafted him. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we still don't know what he's going to be. But, yeah, I mean, that 
that J-Dub pick will likely change the trajectory of the franchise for a long time. For a really long time. For sure. And if you hit on two of those type of picks, once you already have Shea, oh. like you're, you're golden. Yeah. And so if they hit that one, like Chet is the obvious one. If they can, if he's healthy and comes back and is the guy yeah. we think he is, yeah. there you go. You have your third guy who you feel great about. And then if, if they just, if they hit any of these future picks, any of them, any of them, if you're, I mean, they might already be, be like golden when it comes to the draft and then be able to make trades with what they've got yeah. to add to, to everything. But if you can honestly get one more piece, Hmm. Hmm. Uh, okay. You got top five, top yeah. five wins. Yeah. Cause it's, we're on a three game losing streak. You know, it's You're trying to bring the spirits up a little bit. Uh, bring the spirits up. I actually was going to do my top five wins on my bottom five losses, but yeah. as I was going through the losses, I, I just thought, I don't want to talk about, you don't this. want to talk about last week. Uh, I think <laughs> that my top four is pretty good. I feel pretty good about my top four. Okay. My fifth pick. I'm open to suggestions. The mm-hmm. one I ended up going with was the most recent one, which was the Clippers win in Los Angeles on March 21st, the 101 to 100 win. That win for me was really important because they were coming Mm -hmm. off of this stretch where they looked really good, Mm -hmm. beaten a lot of bad teams or teams that were sitting a lot of players. And then we're looking ahead and we see this, this stretch where they're going to have to play the Clippers twice and they're going to play the Lakers. Yep. We're like, if we can get one of those wins, everything will clear up afterwards. Yeah. Like Portland and all these bad teams. Now, that ended up not being true. But that Clippers win felt like such a statement win for this team at that point of the season. You know, late in the season to get a big road win. Yes, Paul George got hurt, but Kawhi was still, you know, playing in that game and he would end up destroying OKC the next game. They hit 500 in that game. They hit 500. That's That's a great point. And so I put that as my fifth uh, top top win. Okay. Number four didn't really mean a lot in the grand scheme of things, but the 150-point game against Boston was very fun. Very fun, very memorable. That was on January 3rd. You know, no Shea playing. At that time, I'm sure Boston was number one in the East, playing, you know, the best team in the NBA and putting up 150 points on them. Mm-hmm. It- just it was so far beyond what I could even imagine this team could accomplish, even with Shea, but with to do it without Shea, it was just like this kind of perfect night, this shooting star that we got to see for one night where everything kind of lined up for the team and they were able to put 150 points on the Boston Celtics. It was insane. I was there, I actually took my kids and two of their friends to the game and it was just magical. Like you just couldn't believe it. I remember we were going and hoping to get auto, get Shay's autograph uh, for the kids, and he was he was like a late scratch because he was sick, and it's like oh no, it's like sorry boys, this might be a horrible night of basketball, and then like Giddy was like twenty five five and five Dort had 23 points on 15 shots. Trey Mann had 21 points in that game, as well as Isaiah Joe. You know, J-Dub was awesome. Yeah, that game was, it was just jarring. Like, I, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, and you still don't want to take a lot from it, but it was just, 
a very fun it's game. It's very fun. Yeah. Uh, number three was their win at Philadelphia oh, on man. January 12th, 133 to 114. Just completely dominating yeah. a healthy Sixers team. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah. Who was good. I mean, they had started to turn their season around. Mm-hmm. You know, they would eventually go on like a much a bigger run. But to beat that team on the road and do it so convincingly where it did not feel fluky at all. Mm-mm. I thought that was one of their biggest statement wins of the season and just a great win, a top win of the season, Andrew. Yeah, and it was like not really in question, you know, down the stretch. It was like, oh my gosh, like the Thunder just killed the Sixers. You know, Giddy was awesome in that one. Shea was just a killer as he always is. But they just kind of got contributions from everybody. I'm looking at the box. Even Trey Mann, another Trey Mann game. There's the... Yeah, what do you have in that game? He had 14 off the bench. All right. You know... Good That's job. good. Good job, Trey. Uh, second, number two, top five win of the season. Mm-hmm. The win at LA on LeBron's night. Yeah. Um, the fact that that was on national TV, everyone is watching. Yeah. We had just been. <laughs> we just came off that Miami game, which was their first national TV game. Yes. Where they played, they played fine, but it Start, was started awful Eugene. to watch. Yeah. It was disgusting to watch because they hit shot so many free throws and to come back in the second chance you get and just like uh, really outplay a team that wanted to win yeah to, because it was this special night <laughs> and to do it on that stage oh it was glorious cuz you the whole next day you're just like look at our guys everybody take a look at our guys <laughs> And, and the did. fact that the team was clearly like going all out for that game yeah. based, based on the rotations. Yeah. It was just an awesome game. It felt like one of the first games of consequence just because of the spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, when they win at Philly, that's awesome, but a lot of people aren't watching that game. Yeah. Everyone is tuned into this game. And everybody talked about it the next day. Yeah. Which was also nice because it was like, wow, congratulations to LeBron. They talk all about LeBron, 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 LeBron. LeBron. And then it's like, but you know who won last night? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, they the transition. Like that. the trans, like it turns and you know, all Thunder fans. Rejoice. Arguably could be number one. But for my number one, I went with one of the earliest games in the season. Yeah. The Isaiah Joe game. Gotta go Joe game. For multiple reasons. I mean, one, it was just an amazing game coming back from 16 down that late in the game. Unbelievable. Winning in overtime. The fact that that game ended up being the reason OKC had the tiebreaker over Dallas and yeah. may be the reason that they actually make the play-in Kind of similar to that year when Anthony Davis hits that shot and that yep. ends up being the reason that OKC doesn't make the playoffs. Like the fact that it can change with this one game. And then the fact that this guy that they just find, this was the first game where he really got extended run. It was like his welcome moment, not just to the NBA, but to us as Thunder fans. Yeah. Like how serious do we need to start taking Isaiah Joe? Yeah, it's only one game, but that was insane. We've never had anyone during this rebuild who could do that. Yeah, And for it to not just kind of go away as this one-off game and actually was the start of something to where now we think of Isaiah Joe as a long-term piece coming off of the bench, I just think that that game ended up being really meaningful for multiple reasons in retrospect, which is why I put it number one. Yeah, it's funny. You look back at that game, and they're so different than they were when they started the season. I mean, you look at the starting lineup, it was... Shea, Dort, Trey Mann, Wiggins, and Poku. Like, 
that's your that was the starting lineup. Yeah. That kind of it's kind of mind blowing. Darius Baisley played twenty six minutes off the bench for them in that game. Uh, J Dub was coming off the bench at that point in the season. And then like Isaiah Joe was only nine minutes that he played <laughs> and he only took four shots. And wow, he, really? Yeah. He was four of four. Three of three from three and hit and had a two. And he had to, went to the free throw line as well. 15 points in nine minutes. Um, but it was just shocking because they were down significantly. And then Joe enters the game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pull it up exactly how much they were down. You know what? Let's just rewatch it. Just do share your screen. Okay. Let's show the game. I'm bringing the game, I'm bringing the game up. No, I mean it. It did feel like okay. This is it. Like this is this is over for for the Thunder. And then he came in and changed it. And if the Mavs keep sinking, this is a game that you can definitely look back at and say, "All right, this was one of the reasons why they won this game." Yeah, they were down with three minutes and forty-two seconds left. Isaiah Joe enters the game. They are down eighty-two ninety-seven. With 3.42 left. <laughs> 3.42 left. That's crazy. Yeah. with And it was just like, okay. I remember watching it thinking, oh, yeah, this one's over. And then Isaiah Joe, he went absolutely insane. Yeah, he so he made the, uh, the game-tying shot to send it to overtime. It's probably why we remember it so much. It's like, Isaiah Joe. That also brought the team to 500. Oh wow! So, which they've only done a couple times. So I nailed a couple of those. Yeah. Games. Now, are there any did. games that I didn't mention that uh, you'd bring up? Someone brought up in the chat the game at the end of January against the Cavs at home, they, which they won one twelve to one hundred. Yeah. I also considered the Knicks game. Remember the Knicks game when they gave up like so many points in the first half? Yes. And then came back and won one forty five to one thirty five. That was a very that fun was the game. Uh, that was the giddy 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 game. Yes, the giddy 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 game. I mean, that's that could be a deserving, you know, top five choice. Yeah, yeah, um, that, that was really good. the The Shea game winner in Washington. Uh, yes, one twenty one to one twenty. That was in November. That was a big one. That was like a big celebration game. It felt like um, against the Wiz, who were hot at that time. They were eight and seven. Yeah, they were pretty. Good. They were game. pretty good. Just beating the Clippers in that like that homestand where they had uh la like tuesday thursday was just kind of shocking um that was just weird (laughs) two very important games that uh they were good games i don't know if they would crack top five but the two portland games at home in december those ended up being very important games for the trajectory of those two teams without a doubt because portland was doing okay coming into that weekend. And after that weekend, it was almost like an inflection point for them where the season started to just go downhill. And those mm-hmm. games were both very close. Um, and those were the games where Blazers fans were really pissed about, you know, Shea's all his free throws. Mm-hmm. And so those games felt important, maybe more so for Portland than OKC. But yeah, I looked at those as well. Now, Andrew, before we go, we should mention tonight, the Mavs yeah. are playing the Kings. They are. Uh, at home, their next three games are at home to finish out the season, which is a little scary. Uh, scary. And there's this double-edged sword of the Kings winning, 
which is that if the Kings win, they actually have a decent shot to get to the two seed mm-hmm. because they have the tiebreaker over the Grizzlies. And if the Grizzlies falter in their final games, mm-hmm. there is a chance that we could go into that final day and not know who's going to be the two seed. Yeah, and they need to win. Which would mean that the Grizzlies would probably play their starters, which means that you have to win that Jazz game. Have to. The Jazz must game win. just It's the becomes... first must win. Yes, it is a must. If they lose the Jazz game, even if we get into the 10th seed, it's over, Andrew. Yeah, they, I okay. mean, yeah, if they... You got to win one game going into get the one. The Get one, please get one. Yeah, they have to. They have to win that Jazz game. You just like show some life, you know. Like there's part yes. of you that just wishes they could have pulled that game out. You know, I mean, they've since that LA win, which is one of your top five wins, they've only won two games out of what is it, like eight games? Yeah, <sighs> it's not good. It's been rough. It's I want them to win at least one, even if Dallas falls apart. I still want. Yes, one go win. get yes, go get one. Don't you want to like take matters into your own hands with regards to the playoff race. You don't want it to just be like gifted to you. It's like, hey, Dallas just absolutely just fell apart and yeah. gifted the Thunder a uh, a play in berth. You know, you want them to to arrive, you know, not to just like stumble in the door. And also because if you do win one, it makes it just very hard for Dallas to do this. It's a um, it it be it's it wouldn't be impossible, but it would feel. I think impossible. they'd have to, I think they'd have to go three and zero. Yeah. Um. And their final game, so they play Sacramento, which I mean Sacramento has reason to play hard yeah. against Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Chicago is their next game at home. Who Chicago feels like the exact type of team that would bother Dallas because they have someone like Patrick Beverly, like. I'm hoping they'll play hard. The, the reality is, though, that they're two games back of the ninth seed and four games up on the Pacers, so they don't necessarily have to. And then they close the season with the Spurs. So I think it's very possible, even with a loss tonight, that Dallas goes two and one Yeah. over this final stretch, in which case you have to win a game. You have to. You have to. And if they lose both of these games, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'll forget about it in a year. Yeah. But in the moment, it just, it, it'll feel like a missed opportunity. Yeah. It'll sting a little bit, certainly. Um, and I think it puts even more pressure on next season because now Shea hasn't even had postseason in, you know, whatever years. Like getting just a taste of the postseason for some of these guys, I think is good just mentally mm-hmm. to feel like, okay, we've made this next step. Whereas yeah. if you go into next season having not made the play in, like the expectations are playoffs or bust at that point because you cannot be the 11th seed next season. You can't. So you have to be successful next season in some way. Yeah. Come on, get there. You just and, uh, you want them to be able to get there. You, you you need to go win in Utah. And Utah's they're they're frisky, man. They're terrifying. They sat a bunch of guys against the Lakers and almost beat the <clears> Lakers <throat> in overtime. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was. Tht has suddenly become very good in this final stretch of the season. I thought he was like awful in the game those those back to back games they played against Utah. He was really bad. He's so bad, and now he's their main guy. Yeah, in this final stretch, he's still on like twenty three points on twenty one shots. He's not like incredible. oh, it's definitely like end of season. This isn't real. Yeah, can you name their five starters from that Lakers game? Uh. 
Did Akbaji start? Akbaji, yep. Okay. Uh, Olenek? Olenek, yep. Olenek. Um, oh, the uh, uh, the Italian guy? No. Did he start? No. No. He came off the bench. Uh, okay, it's not the Italian guy, but it's another guy with a name. He does have a name. Who is it? Who's who's the wing, guard wing? Luca Samanich. That's that was it. Yeah, and then who, and then who was the fifth guy? Udoka Azabuke. Oh man, I was gonna guess Azabuke, and I was like, "There's no way that Azabuke is playing." Believe it. Yeah, that team almost. Now Colin Sexton was back in that game. He still played they... half the minutes that Chris Dunn did. Okay, so they're tanking. They're just not very good at it. Yeah. I mean, we'll see if they go to even further lengths. Let yep. me see if it even matters for them. So right now, they're two games back of the Pacers. They're not going to catch the Pacers. I guess the biggest worry is that the Mavs keep losing and that if you win a game, you might be tied with the Mavs and then have to do a coin flip. Mm-hmm. And if the Jazz got through this season and ended up with the 10th pick or the 10th best odds, I think that's it's gross. a failure. It's really gross. Because... Next season, their pick is top ten protected. So yeah. there's gonna they're gonna be incentivized to be worse than they were this season. Yeah, worse or like turn back, a, or turn a corner and like be an yeah, actual good team. Bringing back this core, who's gonna be older, better, sensibly, and you're gonna have another pick. So yeah, I mean, I, they, I think they should have incentive to solidify themselves as the ninth best odds, so they don't have to worry about Dallas. Yeah, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah, it's so it's so odd. How many teams have not like full out tanked? You know, it's- well, I, I, they are trying. Like, you can't do too much more. Yeah. I mean, you can't do too much more. I mean, they just play Johnny Juzang more. That would help. Well, you know? maybe that's what we're going to see against OKC. Want please, Scott God. Anderson. Yeah, like please. Just we're not. talking. We're talking about uh, OKC needing to get a win to make this all feel good, and we're also rooting for Johnny Chusang to play 48 minutes. We can't beat Taylor Horton Tucker and Hochai Abaji. Help us! Please don't play THT. Don't play THT. Don't do it. Uh, all right. This is a long pod, but, you know, I mean, we have to... We have, we have to, we're doing this thing where we're kind of straddling the fence a little bit where... These are, this is like the last week of being able to talk about real basketball. Even going into next week, like... Yeah, no, it's great. Know, this, this is it. I mean, maybe maybe they make the play-in and they get to the playoffs somehow. Obviously, that would be crazy. But be most crazy. likely, we are not going to be talking about Thunder basketball come next week, potentially. Yeah, it's probably true. We'll be talking about... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the season and how it went and look back at, you know, bold predictions and Although, actually, all that stuff. Although, uh, actually, if they do make the play-in, that starts on the 11th, right? So that's next Tuesday. Yeah. I don't know if their game would they be would play when They would play Wednesday. Oh, Okay. If they make the play and they would play Wednesday night. Okay. So there's so. a pot- there's a possibility that the season's over by next Frypod. Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they won that game, they would play Friday. Okay. That would be fun. That'd be a fun Frypod. Huh? That'd be very fun. I'm I am disappointed that it's that they're not gonna get a home play in game. Yeah, that's a bummer though. The more I watch of Minnesota, I'm I am kind of intrigued by them potentially getting to play Minnesota. Yeah. Because they've been a mess since Cat came back and trying to play these two big lineups. Yep. I mean, I know that sounds like obvious kryptonite for OKC, having like two seven-footers 
going up against them, and maybe it would be. Maybe they'd get killed because Minnesota's played well against them this season. Yeah. But, like, in that last game, they <laughs> sat Gobert the final, like, five minutes of the game, and then yeah. Cat sat the final, like, six possessions. I know. Very strange, <laughs> and so I'm kind of open to playing that team. Yeah. Even if it's not a great matchup. Yeah, I am too. I am too. And if they w- would have won last night, there would have been <clears throat> some hope that they could, that if Minnesota just falls apart these last couple games, that the Thunder could get there to nine. But, like, no, that's that's over. Now they just desperately need the Mavericks to, <laughs> to keep losing so they can stay. And one cool thing, um, I don't know who has a tiebreaker, but so Minnesota plays at San Antonio. Let's mm-hmm. assume they win. Their very last game of the season is home against the Pelicans. That could potentially decide who plays yeah. OKC. Yeah, very well could. Yeah, that would. that's very interesting. There's a lot of crazy games like L.A., the, the battle in LA tonight. Yeah, could very de- important. Could determine who isn't who has to go through the play in. That that's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of good games. So uh all right. Buckle up, Thunder fans. Got this one must win game. This is the first Savor one. it. It's the first one that you can say must win. You know, just just allow yourself to feel every second of it, good or bad. You know. It's and just, just say the most obnoxious things you can. If they lose, and it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. You, you get 24 hours. It's like the purge. Yeah. Let it fly uh, for 24 hours. 24 hours, because it'll probably be the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. If they lose. If they lose, it's probably the end of the season. I will, and then, I will advise the Oklahoman to not allow a fan to write an op-ed. You know what? I around. say more fan op-eds. <laughs> Let's just do don't an do entire that. day's paper's worth of fan op-eds. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that again. Um, but people can vent for 24 hours and then you got to cut it off and then actually realize like where we're at. Okay. Like orient yourself a little bit and think like, okay, you know, 38 wins. I mean, if I'd have told you the thunder were, even if this is it, like if they don't win these next two, if I'd have told you they were going to win 38 games, you would have been like, really? Like that's, that's kind of a wild number. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have sounded real i would i would have said oh then uh wh- whoever made that prediction that chet's playing at least 25 games yeah they taylor turn out to be right taylor's right <laughs> yeah taylor's right. <laughs> i know i know yeah you just you have to continue to put things in perspective for yourself as a fan because like don't if you're gonna be mad about a team don't be mad about this team like come on don't be mad about this team that's you're gonna make yourself look really foolish if you get yourself mad about this team, don't do it. Um, all right. Next year, though, next year, though, go all in. Go all in. <laughs> Playoffs are bust. Playoffs are bust. <laughs> Hope you guys have a great day. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday.